0: This wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul. We have seen in chapters 1 and 2. And part of chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have seen the total depravity of man. That there is nothing good in us. There is nothing that would commend us to God. But God took the initiative god because of his great love for his people and this morning as we look at how paul ends up ends chapter three i I want to read uh beginning with verse 21 again through the end of the chapter he says but now those are two wonderful words y'all remember that But now, you see, Paul has said you are alienated from God. You are enemies of God. You have sinned against your God. But now, man, those are wonderful words. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We uphold the law. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about worship. And we talked about that great modern day theologian, Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a video several years ago of Oprah. She said, I'm not sure I can believe in a God That would not allow people to come to him. Except by only just one way. She said, why would God not provide a way for the Muslim to come to him? Why would God not prepare a way for the Hindu to come to him? Why would God not prepare a way for the Buddhist to come to him? And what she doesn't understand is God did prepare a way. It's just that there's only one. And as R.C. Sproul used to point out, it should not surprise us that there's only one way to God. It should surprise us that there's even one way to God. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Such a claim to truth, uh, which Christianity clearly makes, is perceived in our world today to be narrow-minded, to be bigoted, to be hateful and intolerant. But there is only one way of salvation and the teaching that there is only one way to come to God is merely the natural outcome of the gospel of grace, which Paul has been expounding here in the book of Romans. He has talked about the depravity of men's minds and men's hearts and how they ignored who God was. They refused to acknowledge God, and God gave them up, turned them over. Listen, folks, and in chapter 1, three times Paul says, God gave them over, or God gave them up. Those are some of the most terrifying words in the Bible. They persisted in their sin, and God just simply removed his hand of grace and said, Go ahead, do your own thing, and suffer the consequences. And Paul has talked about how not only those who are just outright sinful people who care nothing about God, but it's also those who are self-righteous. Those who were pointing at Paul and said, yes, Paul, you get on them. You tell them. And Paul said, hey, I'm talking to you too. He said, those of you who think that by being a good person or by keeping the law or by going to church or by teaching Sunday school or by preaching the word, if you think that that's going to get you into heaven, into the presence of God, he said, you are mistaken. There's only one way. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has spoken of human failure to live up to God's standard. He has unfolded God's plan of salvation through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He has proved <clears throat> that the salvation provided by God through the work of Christ becomes ours by simple faith. Faith. The Bible defines faith in Hebrews 11.1 1 as the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I think we can simplify that. Not that I can change the word of God. Don't get me wrong here. You know what faith is? Faith is saying, God, I believe you. That's what it is. God, I believe you. I know what it looks like. I know what it sounds like, God. But I believe your word. And he has said that if we would come to him through this one way of Christ and by faith, this righteousness. uh, There in verse 21 you know, you got to take chapter, go back to chapter uh, 1 and verse 18, 17. Paul says, uh, no, you got to read verse 16. <laughs> for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But then read the next verse. For the wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then you go to chapter 3 and verse 21 and Paul says, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed. How has it been revealed? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of God who came to this world, who is God himself, who took upon human flesh, was born in a lowly manger. Lived a perfect, sinless life after being born of a virgin. Went to the cross, bore our sins, suffered the wrath of God on on behalf of his people. Cried out and said, It is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. Was buried, put in a grave. And the third day, walked out of the grave. He's alive. And Paul says, but now that righteousness of God is revealed in him. Now he's providing for us here at the end of this chapter, three natural conclusions from these doctrines, among which the teaching uh, that in terms of salvation here is but one way of salvation for everyone. Now, we look at this and say we believe that jesus is the only way to heaven we believe that jesus is the only way to god we believe that he is the only door that he is the only way and yet we turn around and we look at our own self-righteousness and we say i know jesus is the only way but surely god has heard how many sermons i've preached he's got to let me in Surely God has seen how many sermons I've sat through and listened to. Surely he's got to let me in. You know, it's an interesting thing for you to remember. Judas heard every single sermon Jesus ever preached. And he betrayed him and spends eternity in hell. So that doesn't matter. Salvation. The conclusions are that salvation by grace through faith excludes boasting. There in verse 27 and 28, he said, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, remember, now Paul is, is speaking primarily in this section to the Jewish people. Because they were saying, well, wait a minute, Paul, we understand what you're saying. And those dirty, uh, nasty Gentiles need to hear this. But Paul, we have the law. And Paul said, good for you. (laughs) But you're not keeping the law. He says, because no one will be justified by keeping the law. You know why that is? And you all, that right there—that no one is justified by keeping the law—is one of the most precious truths we find in the Bible. You know why? You know why that's so so wonderful? Because we can't keep the law. <laughs> the law says, "Obey me or die." I can't obey it. You can't obey it. We're dying. We, we, we died. We are condemned except someone does something for us. So whoever you may be, whatever you've done, salvation is available to all who by faith will come to Christ, who will come and say, Father, I believe you. Do you know, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God, uh, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that word confess means? It means simply to agree with. In other words, I come to God and I say, I agree. I'm a sinner. I'm a vile creature. There is nothing good in me. I am doomed. I have no hope. God, I agree with you on that. And God says, but I have provided a sacrifice. I have provided a substitution. I have provided someone to take your place. And we look at the cross and we see the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, he took my place. There's a song that, uh, that I used to sing a lot. It's called The Cross in the Middle. Anybody ever heard that song? And and the the gist of the song was that that the song, the cross in the middle should have been mine. That's what the chorus says. The cross in the middle should have been mine, and it should have been should have been yours. But he came in our in our place, and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Salvation by grace through faith excludes boasting. You see. <clears throat> And you ought to be glad of this. We talked about this last week. Can you imagine being in heaven with me? And I come up and slap you on the back and say, man, I sure am glad that I made the decision to follow Christ. I am so glad that I had the presence of mind to do the right thing. I am so glad that I was smarter than they were. That I was more righteous than they were. Can you imagine? Would you like to be around me doing that? You don't even like to be around me right now doing that, do you? But you know what? We're not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, Praise God, He chose me. Praise God, when I was dead, He made me alive. It's all going to point to him. So Paul says, this is why salvation is from start to finish. It's all of God. From the predestinating to the glorifying and everything in between. It's all God. Okay. And I know y'all probably forgot this. We contribute nothing to our salvation, but the sin that made it necessary. That's it. And so, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying there will be no boasting. It will all be glo- giving glory to God because salvation is all of Him. Salvation by grace through faith upholds the law of God rather than subverting it. That's what he says there in verse 31. <clears throat> he says, So, do we overthrow the law by faith? And Paul says, By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, as as we go along in Romans, this is going to become more and more into focus here. And that is our, our union with Christ. What that means. That when we come by faith and confess our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and receive the free gift of eternal life that He offers by faith... And become one with him. I become his and he becomes mine. And Paul says look. In Christ. Those are some of the most important words found throughout the entire Bible. In Christ. In him. Through him. By him. Anything that points to him. And you and I can only uphold the law as we are in Christ. You see, God did not take the law and push it aside and say, okay, you can't, you cannot keep this. These people will never keep this. So I'm just going to take the law and I'm going to push it aside and just act like it's he doesn't do that. He can't do that. If he does that, he won't be God. You know that, right? Because you know what the law is? The law is the essence of who God is. But Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. And so in Christ, the law is fulfilled. Do you realize what that means? In Christ, the law is fulfilled. So when God, if I am in Christ, then when God looks at me, what does he see? And he sees the law fulfilled. So that's what Paul means here when he says, so do we do away with the law or overthrow the law? He said, no, never. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So here, Paul, he says there in verse uh, 29, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. So Paul was running up against two entirely different sets of prejudices here. Uh, as he wrote these verses, those of the Jews who believed in one God, but they did not believe salvation was possible for Gentiles but then he had the Gentiles who believed that salvation was for everyone but believed there was more than one God not much has changed nothing so distinguished the Jew from his pagan neighbors and his then his fierce and uncompromising monotheism the, the Shema anybody know what the Shema is hear O Israel The Lord our God, he is one. That was, a, that was Israel's mantra, and it's truth. It was biblical. But while the nations around Israel worshipped many gods, the Jews maintained the highest conceptions of that one God. But one of, the, one of the things that the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry that he encountered throughout the Gospels that you find is he would come upon the Jews and he would tell them, you are slaves to sin. And they would say, we're children of Abraham. We're not slaves to anybody. He would say to them, "You, you need to come and confess your sin. You need to come and believe on me. And they'd say, we are sons of Abraham. We have special favor with God. Just being a Jew means I'm saved. Let me put that into modern times. I go to church, therefore, I'm saved. Because I go to church. You know, I I remember one time I told this lady in a church I was pastoring. I said, I can tell you exactly how many Baptists are going to heaven. Exactly. None. She didn't like that. I said, Baptists don't go to heaven. Presbyterians don't go. Methodists don't go. Only Christians go. But those who are truly born again. And so what he says here. He says that they, uh, these Jews, they scorned the Gentiles to, to the point that they supposed that God did too. They thought that God's attitude toward the Gentiles was the same as theirs. And so the Gentiles who had many gods, uh, it was actually said in the city of Athens that there were more gods than there were people. They offered they 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 worshiped a plethora of gods and these many gods permitted and encouraged debased moral practices. You will find that that's the kind of gods the world likes. The world likes a god that says you can do whatever you want to do and I will still love you. The world likes a god who says I love everybody. By the way, neither of those things are biblical. The world loves a God that says, look, if you want to go through Allah, if you want to go through Buddha, if you want to go through Krishna, I don't care, just get to me. And the world says, I love that kind of God. They love a God that says, you can go out and you can live your life in sexual promiscuity. He says, you know what, that's okay. And the world loves a God like this, but it is not the God of the Bible. And this is the kind of God that the the Gentiles worshipped. And the solution to these two, the the solution, listen, there, there are a lot of crazy things that's going on in our world right now. It's not so popular now as it was, but you know this whole Black Lives Matter thing? I can give you the answer to that. Critical race theory, anybody know what that is? Critical race theory is a terrible, terrible thing. It's Marxism, basically. But I can tell you what the answer to that is. Right now, our country's in an uproar over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I can tell you what the answer to that is. You know what the answer is? The answer is the gospel. That's the answer. The answer is not that I'm on this side of the aisle and I need to make you understand why I'm conservative and you need to believe like I do. That's not the answer. The answer is we're all sinners. (laughs) But God came to Jesus came to save sinners. And so the gospel is the answer. And Paul is saying here to these Jews and Gentiles, you know, over in the book of Galatians, Paul even talks about how Jesus came and he tore down that wall that separated the two. He tore down that middle partition. And so the solution is the gospel. The gospel flows from grace and it has been accomplished by the Son of God. It requires us to be like Him. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Two things that I think that we get wrong about the gospel... If you believe that Jesus came to save you from hell, you're wrong. That is not what he came to do. He came to save you from sin. And there's a big difference. If I believe that Jesus only came to save me from hell, and I can say, well, I have believed on Christ. I'm not going to hell anymore. I can do whatever I want to. But if I believe he came to save me from sin, then now I have a holy hatred of sin. Now, I sin every day. You do too, by the way. We all do. But this is what Jesus. And and let me tell you the other thing that I think we get wrong. We think that when we that, that this salvation thing that it's all about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his glory. And when we get to heaven, I can promise you. It's not the streets of gold. It's not the pearly gates. It's not your granny or your grandpa that's there that you're going to be excited about seeing. It's going to be Christ. Once you see him, no one else and nothing else is going to matter. Did you know that? Uh, you know, Bodie Bauckham was talking the other day about people say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this question. I'm going to ask that. I just got a whole load of questions to ask. And he says, I promise you, when you look upon his face, none of those questions will matter anymore. He is everything, and it requires us to be like him. And Paul says here, God is equally a God of the Gentile and of the Jew. He said he's the God of all. He's the only God there is. Whoever you are, whatever you may or may not have done, this gospel is for you. It's for you. Jesus, he said, all who come to me, I'll in no way cast out. I'll in no way cast out. I want you to see that if you will come to God in the way that he has appointed for you to come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will receive you and he will never turn you away. There is not one soul that will ever be in hell that will ever say, I went to God and he refused me. Not one. The gospel is for all who would believe, Paul says, whether they be Jew or Gentile. Romans 1 16, what we read a while ago, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of God to who to everyone who believes. Okay. Now we get that mixed up right there. The gospel is not for everyone. The gospel is for everyone who believes the gospel will do no good to those who don't believe. We cannot have this idea. We must get these ideas out of our mind that God loves everybody, that He's going to save everybody, and that He doesn't care how you get there because that's just not biblical. It's not truth. The gospel is for the great sinner as well as for the apparently moral person, the pagan and the religious person. As a believer in Christ, I have learned that I need to hear the gospel every day. The great Martin Luther, he used to say, I preach the gospel to my students every week because every week they forget it. We need to hear it. Those described in Romans 1 were great sinners, but the way of salvation through faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was for them. What is your sin? Is it pride? Is it murder? Is it adultery? It doesn't matter what it is. I have had people tell me, "Preacher, you don't know what I've done. I cannot come." And I asked somebody one time, I said, "Have you ever just flat out denied Christ?" And he said, "Oh, I never go that far." I said, "Peter did." Three times. But the Lord forgave him. It doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus said, Whoever comes to me I will never cast out, but we are to come to Christ in whatever mental or spiritual state we may be in. Some come running, some come limping, some hesitatingly, but it doesn't matter. Come to try to come in faith trusting in Christ alone don't trust in your church membership don't trust in your own righteousness don't trust in your good deeds I will promise you folks that when you stand before God and he says to you why should I let you in and I say because I'm a good person he's going to say no you're not or he may say compared to who and you say well I'm good compared to Bobby Baker And he'll say well that's probably true but that's still not gonna get you in because bobby is not the standard by which i am judging you jesus is the standard so next time you think you're a good person compare yourself not to someone else but to christ come trusting in christ children need to be taught that they can come no matter how old you are it's never too late to come He is not the God of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles also. The gospel is for all who will believe. And Paul says, our God is is God, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You see, the Jews held great store by their circumcision. They said, well, this is a sign that I'm saved. I have heard many Christians do the same thing. Well, I'm baptized, so I must be saved. The Bible does not anywhere teach baptismal regeneration. You are not saved by being baptized. You are baptized because you've been saved. Your church membership does not make you saved. But if you are saved, you will be a member of a church. Your Bible study and your Bible meditation and your prayer time will not make you a Christian. But if you are saved, you will do those things. See how that works? You see, Paul here is going to talk about how faith without works saves us. But if you go over to the book of James, he says, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works people say that James and Paul contradict one another, and they do not. You see, Paul is talking about the root of salvation. He's talking about getting saved. And James is talking about the fruit of salvation. He's talking about being saved. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to work. We will do good works, but, but we need to understand what Paul is trying to point them toward. Christ is the object of our faith. It can only be Christ. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look at your preacher. Don't look at your husband or your wife or, or your, or your saintly grandmother. Don't do that. Don't look to your church membership. Don't look to your own goodness. Our only hope of righteousness is not in our works by obeying God's law, but in the works of Christ that he's already done. And continues to do. See, that's what it all boils down to is do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand you are rightly under the judgment of God? You know, in John chapter 3, Jesus said that those who don't believe are condemned already. You're not going to be condemned. You're already condemned. Do we understand? Do we recognize what Paul has been telling us for two and a half chapters? That we have no excuse. That we're just flat no good. We're sinners deserving of death and hell. Do we know that? Do you know that this morning? Have you recognized that about yourself? But then have you recognized that I can look to Christ? That I can go and say, Father, forgive me. I have sinned against you. You know, Psalm 51 is one of the most beautiful psalms there is. It's the the psalm that David wrote after his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, with all of which David was guilty of. And he says, my sin is ever before me. Have mercy on me, O God. You know what God did? He had mercy on him. You know what he'll do to you? He'll have mercy on you. Our hope and our righteousness is only in the works of Christ. In him, in Christ, can you be loved by God and accepted by God and forgiven by God. In Christ, we uphold the law. We come by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Have you been saved? Do you know this morning that Christ is your Lord and your Savior? Can you say I have come to the end of myself and I have, I have fallen on my knees before God and said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Only to hear him say, Done. Done. Because, Father, I look to Christ, and I know that the life that I live, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I know that the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, he is the God of the Jew, and he is the God of the Gentile. Is he your God? Have you by faith believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received the grace that he offers and said it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? In a few minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table together. Maybe you're here and maybe you're not a member of this church, but we invite you. If you know you're saved, you're welcome to come to the table with us. Folks, I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul gives some stern warnings about those who partake of communion or the Lord's Supper with known sin in your life. It's a dangerous thing to do. But I want to tell you, the only people that are that are invited to the Lord's table are the Lord's people. Jesus told his disciples as he sat down with them, he said, I'll not drink this, this cup again with you until I drink it with you in my kingdom. And someday we'll do that. In this, we preach the gospel. We see the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and the the, the poured out blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. And Paul here is saying, in this, the law is fulfilled. In this, we can look to Christ and be saved. We can can look no other place. He was telling the Jews, stop looking at your own self-righteousness. Stop looking at how good you think you are. He was telling the Gentiles, stop looking at all these other gods. Stop looking at all this, this, this uh, stuff you have going on. And both of you look to the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, God, that you have provided the way for us that though we are sinful creatures, that, Father, by nature we turn from you. Father, we thank you that in love you called us. In love you have predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Father, this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we thank you, Father, that you meet us here. We thank you that we can remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And Father, he says we are to do this until he comes. So, Father, this morning, may we remember the awful price that Jesus paid, that, this, that our sin was laid on him, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him thank you heavenly father we will forever and eternally praise you we thank you for our lord jesus christ for it's in his-